Are you ready? Hell yeah. Let's turn on the tunes. Ready? Are you ready? Okay. Hi, friends. I'm Kylie. And I'm n- nervous, nervous for this. <laughs> I'm Mackenzie. I'm Alex, and I'm the designated driver. <laughs> and this is a, a Cusin, Boozin, and Cruisin', a podcast where we're going for a little drive, doing a little drinking, and talking a lot about spooky and scary shit that go bump in the night. A pre-warning, there will be scary stories that may be too graphic or may have topics that may make you uncomfortable. Also, we are not promoting drinking and driving, so if you are planning on drinking, make sure you have yourself a designated driver, like Alex, to get you where you need to go. Since this is our first week, we are going to do things a little differently. Typically, we would introduce the state we're visiting for the week, start the drink, and state a few facts about the state. Maybe throw in some hot gossip and then get into the juicy stories that we have picked out for you. But this week, we're going to introduce ourselves. I trip over my words a lot. (laughs) Um, Drink our personal favorite drinks and talk about the stories that got us into liking true crime or the paranormal or just what got us interested in the topic. It will be a nice way for you guys to start to get to know us. So friends, let's get started. What are we drinking this week? So, my personal favorite drink is a Bloody Mary. I didn't like these until recently. Um, I started dating this guy who likes them, and I told him I never want to drink tomato soup. Gross. <laughs> and he said, oh, you obviously never actually tried one, and he was right. The only tomato soup I want to drink is warm tomato soup with a grilled <laughs> cheese. Um, but I typically only like the ones that he makes, so I did have him make me one today. Um, and I'm... bartender moment. He did have a bartender on me. I was going to have him bring it over to make for us, but then we just decided to make it on the way over. So, or before we came over. But I want Kylie to try it because she's never tried these before, I don't think. I don't want to drink tomato juice with pickle juice and floating objects. <laughs> it doesn't sound good to so me. So mine, it's just, it's Bloody Mary mix with vodka. Um, it has a, <laughs> it has an olive with garlic in it. Um, this time he put a pickle spear in here. Um, he doesn't normally do that. And then he just added a bunch of, oh, like... he's fancy today. Mm-hmm. Um, and he added a bunch of, like, there's, like, seasonings and, like, toppings you can add. Um, he did make it a little bit strong today. He said, for the purpose of your first podcast, I'm going to make it a little stiff. So, take it So, should you be doing your story first? No. No, no. I don't like it. Try it. I just smelled it, and I don't like it. Do you want to smell it, Alex? Yeah, Sure. Yeah, it smells delicious. <laughs> Too bad you don't drink. I like pickles, though. I don't like... She's making a very funny face. I don't like it. <laughs> it's not good. It was not good. It's <laughs> sour and spicy. It's a little spicy. And not good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kylie, what are you drinking? I am being a basic bitch, and I am drinking a truly, a black cherry lemonade truly, because... Uh, you know, for someone who's starting a true crime drinking podcast, I don't like a lot of alcoholic <laughs> drinks. Um, so this will be a very fun ride when we start getting to, you know, signature drinks uh, from each state, especially like the darker alcohol, because mm-hmm. um, I'm going to complain the whole time. Sorry about it in advance. But anyways, so, crack into the truth. 
It's okay though because as she tries these drinks oh. that she doesn't like, it's be okay. Yeah. Um, I'll get all the great pictures of her facial expressions because she has some good ones. Oh, very expressive. And uh, while Kylie doesn't like a lot of different kinds of alcohol, I don't drink it all. So I have a Bundaberg ginger beer, my favorite ginger beer, my favorite non-alcoholic drink. Okay, so with that, I think that we should just jump into this week's stories. What do you guys think? Yeah. Kylie, would you like to uh, go first? Not really, but (laughs) yes, I will. (laughs) Okay, so... This week, I will be covering the story of Mary Vincent. Um, This wasn't really the case that got me into true crime, but it definitely has been one that's stuck with me, and um, I think about it a lot. Um, And it has been the case that has, you know, sealed the deal for me with never wanting to hitchhike. You know, not that (laughs) I've wanted to hitchhike. Yes, that, that, you know, that one. Yeah, Alex is, Alex (laughs) knows which one I'm talking about. Um... But it has, it has been the one that has, like, totally turned me off of hitchhiking um, forever. Have you ever hitchhiked? No. <laughs> Alex, have you ever hitchhiked? No, and I've never planned to either. No. I've hitchhiked. When my grandpa was a kid, he used to just hitchhike around the States over the summer. Isn't that so crazy? Well, it's, yeah, I just don't understand it. And, you know, sometimes when you're driving down the road, sometimes it's not very common anymore, but you'll see someone standing there, like, with their thumb out, and they're just like, is today the day that I'm going to stop and pick up a hitchhiker? And then I look in the back seat, and I'm like, no, Stella's here. <laughs> Probably fair. not smart. Every now and then I think, like, oh, I could do that. Like, I, if I size the person up, and I'm like, I could probably take them in a fight. Maybe I, I would. take but, anybody in a fight. But most of them, I can't. So <laughs> they're all like, big strong men and I'm like are you planning on murdering me because if so I'm not giving you a ride so you know murderers are always honest yeah I saw someone on a tv show who was hitchhiking and before they got in the car they took a picture of the driver's license and sent it to their friends that's That's smart smart. that's like whenever you go on a date you're supposed to be like yeah this is where we're going this is where we're leaving if I don't talk to you in 10 minutes, hit me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like we kind of stated in the beginning, this story kind of has some um, uncomfortable topics like sexual assault, and it, it does get a little graphic. So, you know, if this makes you uncomfortable, maybe jump to the next episode or Mackenzie's. But I think Mackenzie said she also had some trigger warnings. So just a heads up. Okay. So like I said, this is the story of Mary Vincent. Um, I added some pictures of her, um, and I'm not going to lie, at 15 there's a picture of her that kind of looks like my mom. If you look, it's this one. You think so? I think so. Like a young picture of my mom, and I'm just like, that's that's a little weird. That's a little weird. Mary was born in 1963 in Las Vegas, Nevada. She was one of seven children, which I come from a family of four and us a lot. You have yep. five, right? Yep. And it's just, I couldn't imagine. Four brothers. Four brothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that many kids. And also as a mother. Like, yeah. That's a lot of kids to push out. And keep track of. <laughs> and keep track of. Um, both her parents were around and worked. Her father was a mechanic. He worked on slot machines. And her mother was a blackjack dealer. 
Mary had a slightly rebellious spree when she was a teen, but I mean, who doesn't? She often skipped school, she didn't get along with her parents, and she even ran away with her boyfriend at the time. Um, Yeah, they ended up getting caught because he was apprehended on rape charges of another girl. While he was with her? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um... It is to note that at this time, her parents were kind of going through a rough divorce, so she was lashing out in her own ways, but also being a teenager. I mean, like, being a teacher's kid, I did whatever I could to kind of lash out, but... No. It wasn't a lot. I know, I've gotten a lot of trouble with Mackenzie growing up. Um, My parents definitely... My parents definitely came to Mackenzie's parents' house a couple of times to pick me up because I didn't answer my phone for, like, five days straight. Yeah, so... We never do anything, like, that bad, though. No. Being teenagers. Um, so Mary's life, home life, wasn't very good at the time, so she ran away from home on September of 1978 and decided to make her way to um, California. Some sources say Corona, California. Some say Berkeley. And others said Los Angeles. But I'm going to just kind of say in the general area of L.A. because that's, you know, kind of where I know more. Like, I know that general general area. Um, and she was going to find her grandfather. That's where he lived. So she was heading, heading towards family. Um, Mary, being 15 at the time, didn't have really any money. So she made her way hitchhiking and sleeping in cars and sleeping in streets and, you know, just trying to get her way there. On September 29th of 1978, she was hitchhiking down Interstate 5 when she met up with two other random people who were also hitchhiking in the same direction. Together, they watched as a blue van pulled up beside them, the the driver telling them that he was going that way, but he only had room for one, Mm. which is kind of... A little in a van and a blue van, and I have a pic. There's a picture mm-hmm. of the blue van. It's definitely more it, room. Well, yeah, you know, you can throw yourself in the back. You know, it's it's a different time in the in in you know the the world. So they probably didn't even have to wear seatbelts. So he definitely could have taken all three of them. And strength in numbers. Strength, strength in numbers. even if it is just people you just met, like strength in numbers. Yeah. You could have done it. The two other hitchhikers told Mary that she should wait with them. Okay. Which makes sense. Yeah. What we just said, strength in numbers. But Mary saw the driver's appearance as being almost grandfatherly. Remember, she's making her way to see her grandfather, so she kind of just had that in her head. Like, it was comfortable for her. And he had a very kind smile. There's pictures of him. You can kind of see. I wouldn't really even take a ride from him. Well, like I said, I wouldn't have hitchhiked. Yeah. Um. Oh, so... A little, a little, yeah. <laughs> um, so she took the ride. The driver of the blue van who would come to change Mary's life forever was named Loris, Lawrence Singleton. Lawrence Singleton. Lawrence, or Larry Singleton, was born July 28th of 1927 in Tampa Bay, Florida. So he was a Florida man. You know, a Floridian. Probably a little bit crazy. <laughs> He made a living as a merchant seaman. For those of you who don't know what that is, it means a sailor appointed by a private vessel, which 
also doesn't really make sense to me. I just thought I'd give you that definition. <laughs> Throw it in there. In case anybody cares. <laughs> really helpful, really thorough reason. You're welcome. <laughs> I've been really busy, okay? <laughs> I couldn't find much on Singleton's early life, but what I do know is that he was reported to have a bad temper. He was a misogynist. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it means he was just a giant asshole. Basically, yeah. 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 You know, old white man. Really good. <laughs> Singleton had gone through his second divorce recently and had a strained relationship with his daughter. He had also been convicted of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and had a history of alcohol abuse. So, overall, this man was scum. And he's kind of disgusting in the nicest way possible. And I know I kind of already said that Mary took that ride, but do you want to know what he said to her to get her in his car? Well, yeah. He's told her that he had a daughter her age, which I mean, he does, but like that would never have convinced me. No. I'd have been like, oh, are you also handing out free puppies and candy? <laughs> like, where are those as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm goal oriented, like reward oriented. We just talked about this, Alex. So, I mean, if you have something that I want, I, I will get in the car. No, I, I won't, but I will try to take it before getting in the car. I saw this TikTok of a lady who, uh, there was a puppy in a van next to him. And he was like, oh, I have two more puppies in the back. Do you want to come pet them? And she was like, yes. And then she got back to her car and she was like, I'm the one. I'm the one that they say yeah. I was going to get kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> Once, um, we lived really close, or we do live really close to the Boys and Girls Club growing up, and we went there, and Keely, my younger sister, would sometimes just randomly leave, <laughs> and so my mom was convinced that someone was going to, like, kidnap her, because, like, you know, why why not kidnap Keely? And we live on a border town. A so border like, town. It's kind of a little sketchy We literally sometimes. live on the line. The crossing yeah. is in our town. Yeah. Canadian border. Yes. Yeah. Um... But anyways, my mom was, like, convinced someone was going to take her. Keely wouldn't listen to my mom. So one time we were sitting at Red Robins, and it was, like, some sort of cop fundraiser. And the cops were being the servers, and there was a cop car outside. And my mom talked to a cop and, like, had him arrest Keely oh and throw her in the back of the car with, the, like, the sirens on. And Keely was she bawling. <laughs> and I was, like... Oof, buddy. And then that was the day that I turned out to be the problem child because Keely never did anything wrong ever again. How old was she? She was probably, we were probably in elementary school. Oh my gosh. Like, we were young. We lived really close. That's but like, so funny. Yeah. That's when she became the star child. <laughs> okay. Star child. Ignore that, Keely. Don't, no, she won't. <laughs> she doesn't like these kind of podcasts. We all have, we all have that kid in our family list that can never do anything wrong. I have, so I have you. a twin who did something really bad in high school and got caught for it. And then I ended up getting in trouble for it. Like, that whole summer, he had to stay by my mom's side, but then so did I. And I didn't even get in trouble for it. Like, I wasn't, he got, well, he got caught smoking weed in the house. So it wasn't that bad, but it was bad to my parents. Mm-hmm. And that's when my parents came to pick me up. Yeah. And they were like, you can't hang out with Mackenzie for a while. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. But yeah, he, he can do no wrong. He is the favorite, even though, yeah, he... I didn't ever get in trouble like that. Well, once, but... <laughs> never, not not once. Well, maybe once, actually. Probably <laughs> once. Probably. But yeah, we all have that. You have Sam, so... No, Alex is the child who can do no wrong. Oh. I'm the golden child. Sam is the trouble child. Oh, yes. okay, okay. I am also the trouble child. 
I have grown to be Shout my parents' favorite, me. though. So it all works out in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm only my parents' favorite because I've given them their only grandchild. So it all works out in the end. <laughs> okay, back to the story. Once 15-year-old Mary was in Singleton's car, he told her that he had to make a stop at his house in San Pablo, which would have been like big red flag number five or six or whatever. And at that moment, I would have been like, no, I'm going to get out of this car. Probably maybe find a different car. Probably not. Hitchhike ever. (laughs) But to my surprise, nothing happened. He went home, made a stop at his house. And then they made their way back on Interstate 5. Didn't he say he had to pick up his laundry or something? I think so. I think that's what it was. Maybe he was, like, gaining her trust. Maybe. See, you can trust me. We're just stopping for a second. Maybe, yeah. And I don't know. This maybe comes in later. I don't know if she ever looked at what the back on the back of his truck was. Maybe he was picking up what he was going to have later. Oh. Yeah. That's not confirmed if she, like, saw it. Saw it. I don't know. I think he said he was picking up his laundry, but it never was really, like, said. Yeah. Um, And they started making their way back to Interstate, on Interstate 5 towards Los Angeles. I guess that that made her feel comfortable, and she, you know, didn't feel like he was a big threat. And so she fell asleep shortly after leaving his house. And maybe she's like me, where if she isn't the one driving the car, uh, car rides put her to sleep. And she just passed out. Um... Once she woke up, she immediately knew something was off. Instead of heading in the direction of L.A., they were actually heading back towards Nevada. Mary, irritated that he had switched directions, confronted Singleton and demanded that he turn around and go back in the right direction. He claimed that it was an honest mistake, but how do you just mistakenly get off the freeway and then turn around and get back on the freeway going in a different direction. Like, if he wasn't stopping to get gas or, like, stopping to do something, how do you flip around like that? I was going to intersect by saying I was in L.A. recently, and those freeway systems are very confusing, but you're right, you're right. You weren't going to stop to do something. If you weren't already Mm -hmm. getting off, then how did you get turned around like that? Mm -hmm. He then told Mary, I'm not going to hurt you, (laughs) before he turned around and headed back towards L.A., which... Add that to the bucket of red flags because, mm-hmm. like, someone being like, I'm not gonna hurt you. It's like, what do you think I am? An axe murderer? Who? <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's like when creepy old guys are like, well, I don't bite. I, I hate it when people say that. People say that. Yes. Ooh, I'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> or it's like, you'd be so much prettier if you smiled. Fuck off. Uh, I'm not smiling in my ID picture on purpose so bouncers can be like, Oh, smile for me. They're always like, you look mean. I say, I am mean. Leave me alone. (laughs) A little while after being on the road again, Singleton told Mary that he needed to use the bathroom and pulled off the side of of a rural road near Del Puerto? Puerto? Puerto. 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 (laughs) Close, close. Canyon. I'll just call it the the canyon. Del. My my words are not very good. <laughs> Del Puerto Canyon. Del Puerto Canyon. Sure. Ha! The Port Canyon. <laughs> which, which is about five-ish hours from L.A. Once stopped, Mary also decided to get out and use the bathroom. But when she stepped out of the car, she noticed that one of her shoes was untied. Why are you making that face? It's weird. 
he had to pee on the side of the road. She also had to pee on the side of the road. No, but her shoe was untied. Oh, I don't know. Her shoe? While she was sleeping? Yeah, that's why, that's why I made no, that No, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Maybe she just sucks at tying her shoe. I don't know. Anything could have happened. But I don't, I also don't think I would have gotten out to pee on the side of the road with some random man. Because, like, peeing is kind of different for girls yeah. without toilet paper. Maybe she's just not as much of a little bitch as you guys. So. Fair enough. That's rude. <laughs> she is hitchhiking across yeah, the state, so. Yeah. <laughs> she bent over to tie it. This is when Singleton struck her on the back of the head and her back with a hammer in his fist, knocking her unconscious. Yeah, Singleton then threw her in the back of his van where he tore Mary's clothes off and raped her. After this attack, he got into his van where he... Nope, I just read that. I don't want to read that again. <laughs> After this attack, he got into his car and drove it further off the road and into the canyon. Wait, so is she unconscious? Does that not sound right to you? No, no. I, okay. just, I didn't catch where you said she was unconscious. When he hit her with the hammer. He went, pow! She's still unconscious. Yeah. Okay. He drove it further off the road and into the canyon nearby. He then tied her up to keep her subdued. He warned her that if she screamed, he would kill her. Obey him and he would let her live. During these long hours, he would order her to continually drink some unknown type of alcohol from a plastic jug. He would rape her multiple times and commit acts of sodomy. So this is kind of like, maybe he wasn't getting laundry. Maybe he was getting this random jug of alcohol. Right. It could have just been like a way of gaining trust. I, you know, it's never been confirmed. Or, mm-hmm. yeah. This brutal attack continued for hours. And through the whole thing, Mary was in and out of consciousness. And when she was conscious, she was pleading with her attacker to let her go before finally passing out for the last time. When she woke back up, Singleton was dragging her towards the canyon. She tried to plead with him one last time to set her free and promised that she would never say anything about what had happened to her. At this request, Singleton yelled, You want to be free? I'll set you free. And then he retrieved a hatchet from the back of his van, cutting the rope that tied the girl's arms behind her back. There was a little bit of a struggle between Singleton and Vincent, and he swinged his hatchet again, cutting her right arm off as it was still holding on to Singleton's arm. So there was an attack, like they were struggling, and she had hold, held him like this, and he swung and cut her arm. Yep. And like she looked down, and her arm was still holding on to him, but it was not connected to her body anymore. That's true. Which is fucking crazy. After everything that already happened. Like, yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. I couldn't even imagine. Couldn't imagine any of it. No. Um, in the shock of what had just happened, Singleton had the opportunity to swing his hatchet for the last time, cutting off her other arm below the elbow. The worst part is that she was conscious through the final attack, through everything. She felt everything. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe it was dulled a little bit from the alcohol. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah, that would be, like, your one hope, is that, like, her body was kind of numb to everything, but, like, her mind probably wasn't, and she probably, like, she was in shock, but she probably still knew what was happening. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I've not heard this story before, so this is all new information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this girl was amazing. So, Mary, now naked, having both her arms cut off, bleeding and in shock, was pushed 
over the side of the road and down the 30-foot cliff into the canyon. But he wasn't done yet. He went down to the canyon himself, stuffed her body in a concrete pipe, and told her, okay, now you're free. In a concrete pipe. Like, yeah, he was just trying to hide her body. Yeah. He was expecting her to die. He was expecting her to die. Yeah. 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 He left her there thinking she was going to die, thinking she was unconscious. Um, But Mary, this child, this fighter, was not dead. She was only unconscious. Wow. Yeah. When she came to, she realized what kind of situation she was in and knew that she needed to get out of it as fast as she could. She rolled her elbows, like her, her stubs, in dirt and mud nearby to try to stop the bleeding, which I don't think I would even think to do. Maybe some, like, you might kick in the survival Yeah, because of hearing this, I yeah. probably would be like, <laughs> I need to stuff mud to stop the bleeding. Yeah, that's crazy. I would be more worried about rubbing it in dirt and having it get infected. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, growing up, I was always told if I got like a scratch to rub dirt in it, so, I thought that was just a saying. Oh, who knows? Who knows what you were doing? That's crazy. And then she dragged, drugged, drugged, drugged herself, <laughs> dirty and covered <laughs> in blood, up the cliff. Like I don't know what kind of cliff it was. If it, it was, was at least thirty feet, though. Yeah, like I'm if. Assuming if she didn't die when she fell off of a thirty-foot cliff. That it was she like must have rolled, down. rolled. Yeah, I didn't look up full pictures on the cliff. I'm so sorry. But, like, I'm, you know, and if she didn't have arms, I'm guessing it's not one of the ones, like, you have to climb up. But, like, she got herself up the cliff, which is amazing. I feel like my will to live would have ended a long time before that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, she, once she reached the top, she, once she got to the top of the cliff, she threw her arms above her head to try to make sure the bleeding, you know, Stopped. Yeah, let the blood Keep. run out of her arms back into her body. Yeah, yeah. She um, she said that she kept her arms above her head so that muscles and blood would not fall out. She walked on this road for three miles before anybody tried to stop to help her. It is said that a bunch of cars passed her, but like would slow down and then see what kind of state she was in and would drive off. Oh my god! Which is like part of it's. Like, I get it, uh, but I don't. But, yeah. Yeah. You see someone who needs help, help them, you know? But, like, but it's stellar in the car. Yeah, yeah. You don't, it's one of those things where you never know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. Oh, yeah, so it's like a roll-down cliff. Well, she won't put the picture. She rolled down, kind of. I don't know, don't. <laughs> Moral of the story is. She's amazing. Well, I was going to say about nobody stopping to help never oh, yes. assume that somebody else is going to do it. There have been so many studies about how people just won't call 911 because they'll assume somebody else will do yeah. it. In big crowds especially. Yeah. Never assume that. Yeah. Always, always call 911. It's better to have just too many calls than no calls. Yeah. So someone did finally stop. Yes. Finally, a couple stopped to help. It is said that they were like on their honeymoon and oh had their gosh. like whole car packed full of their belongings. Like their, you know, travel suitcases and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they helped it. her. Yeah, they helped her, and they wrapped what was left of her arms and cloth that were in their car. They drove her to the airport, where they were able to contact help. All she could muster was he raped. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why they drove her to the airport. Maybe it was just the closest, closest. place they could get help. And I mean, there's usually like 
some sort of security or police or something mm-hmm. at an airport. So paramedics, probably paramedics, something. So I'm sure they were also in a panic. And I like I don't know the area around the canyon, so I don't know what was. Excuse me, truly burp. I don't know what was there, but she sent ended up staying a month in a hospital, but she wasn't ready to give up and let Singleton win. She got fitted for prosthetics, returned to school, and started to adapt her life around her new disability. She was able to give such a detailed description of her attacker that they were able to create a sketch, and that sketch would be, would be recognized by Singleton's neighbor, who called the cops on him immediately. I look at sketches, or like you hear voices, recordings of yeah. people, you know, like the, the girls who recorded the guy on Snapchat. And, oh, yeah, on, yeah the on the bridge, or yeah. even like the smiley face. Is it, no, it's the whiny voice killer. Whiny voice. Yeah. yeah, you hear hear these people or see these pictures, and I'm like, well, that could be anybody. But like yeah. this neighbor was able to be like, that is yeah. my neighbor, which is how many other tips they got from people. They're like, oh yeah, that's my neighbor. That's my ex-husband. He's an ass, yeah. you know. Like, but it 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 ended up being him, which is just amazing. Another example of. When in doubt, just call it anyway. Yeah. It might actually be your neighbor. <laughs> your neighbor is a crazy murderer. Definitely, your neighbor is 100% a crazy murderer. <laughs> Always. Police went to Singleton's house and searched it. There, they found Mary's cigarettes and some remains of burnt clothing that appeared to belong to Mary. There was nothing else really in the van as evidence due to Singleton with the help of a hopefully clueless neighbor because the van was cleaned out before police were able to reach him. Once in court, this scum did not did nothing but lie and make it worse because he lied straight to Mary's face. Mary, being the brave, amazing young woman she was, testified at Singleton's trial, sitting across from him, giving the court every last detail about her horrible, horribly violent attack. Not once did she refer to him by name. She only acknowledged him as my attacker. So she didn't give him like I love that for her. Yeah, she didn't give him that that reward of knowing who he was. Yeah, he was only the attacker. Like I said, Singleton did nothing but lie. He claimed that he picked up Mary, and then after he picked her up, with he also picked up the two other hitchhikers, whose names were apparently Pedro and Larry. Now <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but his name is Lawrence Larry Singleton. So he couldn't. Come up brains. with yeah. another name. Only come up with one name that wasn't his. Yeah, it was Pedro Larry. Yeah. I wonder so, what his middle name is. Pedro? Pedro. <laughs> yeah. Um, he went on to say that they all stopped at a bar, smoked, and then paid to have sex with Mary. He called her a $10 a night whore. Which is so fucked up. This guy's horrible. Yeah. And then he closes out his lie by saying that he passed out, and when he woke back up, Larry had driven the van to San Francisco, and that he was the one who, him and Pedro, Larry and Pedro, were the ones who attacked Mary. But it's like, the van was found in your your house, it was just cleaned out, so like, how'd you get it back from San Francisco? Like, it just... And whose stuff was there? Did you say they found her stuff in his house? They found a cigarette butt from Mary that came back with her DNA, and then they also found burnt clothing. Yeah. So, 
just a pure coincidence. But Mary wasn't going to let that slide. She stood up in court, pointed one of her hooked prophetic arms at him, and declared in a strong voice that he was the one to do this to her. At the end of it all, when she walked past him, he looked at her, spoke directly to her, and said, I'll finish the, jo- finish the job if it takes me the rest of my life. Ugh. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, you have traumatized this girl enough. You can't just keep your mouth shut for five seconds. Yeah. Like, this badass 15-year-old had to walk past him in court, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Like, he, yeah, he, it was proof. Like, yeah, yeah. right there, incriminating himself right there. The jury found him guilty on all charges. Good. Those charges included kidnapping, mayhem, attempted murder, forcible rape, sodomy, and forced oral Lawrence received the maximum sentence, but unfortunately at the time, judges could not impose consecutive sentences for each felony, meaning that he was only going to have to be put away for 14 years and 4 months. So like, at the time, he couldn't be put away for each sentence back to back to back. So he couldn't be there, like, there was no way he was going to be there for a super long time. It all had to be condensed into one, which sucks. I was serving concurrently. Yeah. Thank you. It's ridiculous. I don't know why it even exists. Yeah. And the judge said that, like, he wanted nothing more to lock than to lock this man away for the rest of his life, which we love. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Now, out of those 14 years and four months, he only spent seven years and nine months in jail. After working and helping and good behavior. What? Helped win him the parole. After cutting a 15 year old girl's arms off he and got tormenting her. Out of jail. Ugh. We sometimes hate the justice. And the death penalty wasn't a thing then? I don't think so. Well, it probably was because I think the. Yeah. California has the death penalty. Yeah. All. But for like the, capital murder or something. I think it's. Yeah. I feel Ugh. like the death penalty has been around forever. True. But. There are, like, special rules that go with it. He didn't fit those special rules for, you know, chopping the girl's arms off. And although they're really bad things he did to her. So, yeah. Um, Now, like I said, he was only in there for um, nine years or four years and nine months. Um, This caused a mass outrage in the public because the leniency that he got. Every town that Singleton tried to move to or live in refused him. They just wouldn't let him be a part of society, which is, I mean, awesome that, like, a town or a city, they were all able to, like, band together and kick this piece of shit out. He um, ended up having to live in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin, Hmm. um, the the jail that he was in. Um, He was under curfew and watch of guards during this time Mary was struggling after such a violent attack and then being threatened. She um, ended up becoming a lot more secretive with her life and you know, being a lot more recluse, which I mean, not to blame her. No. You would kind of go into hiding 
and not want to be around anybody. And, like, I'm sure she was recognized. Yeah, yeah. She was traumatized, depressed. She developed anorexia, and she had trouble leaving the house. She ended up living in fear for many years, and I'm sure Singleton being released didn't help those feelings. To make it worse, this asshole decided to sue Mary for forcible Uh kidnap for the purposes of robbery. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he said that she could... She told him to kidnap her, and if he didn't, she would... Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He okay. he tried to spin it around on her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no one bought this, Good. and it gained no traction in the courts, and was ultimately dismissed. So Good. this asshole did this for nothing. Singleton finally decide, decided to move away from California and move back to his home state of Florida, where he was arrested in 1990 <laughs> for petty theft and was sentenced for two years. But like before, he only served a portion of that time. In 1997, the year of my birth. Same. Same. Gross. Get out. It's my year. Leave me alone. He lured a young prostitute into his house, and then he attacked her. A, paint, a painter was painting. This is a painter. He's painting. <laughs> nearby. A nearby house where it happened. He happened to look into one of the windows of Lawrence's house and witnessed what was happening. I said happening a lot. But, like, if you're (laughs) planning on attacking someone, you should probably close your windows. Pro tip. Close your windows (laughs) if you're planning on attacking someone. You're welcome. Write it down. He called the police immediately, telling them that there was a naked man covered in blood who was repeatedly stabbing a naked woman. He went on to say that that woman appeared unconscious, but he could hear her bones being crushed after each stab. Yeah. That's a lot of force. Yeah. That's a lot of anger. When police arrived at the house, they came to find that the naked man was Lauren Singleton. Wow, shocker. He attacked someone else? Yeah. Um, And at and that the woman was 31-year-old mother of three, Roxanne Hayes. Once again, he lied, saying that it happened in a struggle after Roxanne tried to take more money than agreed on. And once again, the amazing Mary Vincent stood up and testified not only for herself, but now for Roxanne Hayes. Yeah, she went back and saw her attacker again, even though she was so traumatized. And in hiding. And in yeah. hiding. Good for her. Yeah, she wanted Roxanne to get the justice that she didn't really get because she, because Vincent went out missing, because Singleton got out. Yeah, yeah. This time it took the jury only four hours to reach a verdict, and they found Singleton guilty, and his he was sentenced to death. So, good. Most likely because he actually killed her. He ended up dying at age 74 on December 28th of 2001 of cancer while waiting execution. Yeah, so he died in prison, and you know he's no longer able to be a complete asshole. Good. So this guy cut off this poor woman's arms and sexually abused her and tried to murder her, and the justice system let him out so he could actually kill somebody later. Yeah, and yeah. he and he killed that lady. Yes, yeah, yeah. I go on to say, well, it is nice that Mary no longer has to worry about Singleton anymore. She, along with others, were angered by the laws that allowed him to be released and not sentenced to life during his first trial. Many think that if he would have been, if that would have been the case, then he was sentenced to life. Roxanne Hayes, Roxanne Hayes' murder would have, would have been prevented. That's fair to say. Yeah. If he wouldn't have been able to get out because of 
good behavior and helping out in prison, then Roxanne Hayes would have been alive and her three kids would have still had their mother. Right. Yeah. Which is just... I firmly believe that some people cannot be rehabilitated by yes. the justice system. Yeah. And so they should never be released. And people who do shit like this are those people. Who typically, yeah. I'll gladly pay my taxes for it. I've yeah. heard so many cases of people being like, oh, they go to prison and they get off with their behavior. They go back, they get oh, out. Oh, but they then back, they tell they go God. And yeah. so they're obviously so much better now, but then they come out and they kill them. Right. Like, you can believe whatever you want to believe, or that and it's, still be an asshole who kills people. They're so in and out, in and out, and everyone's like, oh, they're, they're better, they'll be rehabilitated, yeah. and then they go and do something ten times worse. Yeah. You maybe can change your life so that you stop robbing convenience stores. Sure. Maybe you've become a better person. You Maybe you were just doing that because you were in a bad, bad financial situation. Yeah. But you can't rewire your brain to not be sexually attracted to violence. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And it's like he, it, what he did to Mary was so violent, heinous, like, like so with, horrible, with the unsolicited sexual attacks and the arms cut. He cut off her arms and stuffed her into a like a concrete drain pipe. Like he there's thought he no, killed her. Yeah, there's no getting away with that. He thought he was innocent. Like yeah, not innocent. He thought he got yeah. He thought he got away with it, and so he was just gonna go back to living his life. And probably killing more people because oh, well, he, he finally like lady. yeah yeah it's horrible yeah and tied her to a tree like he ugh, yeah he tortured her with the intent of killing her yeah thought he killed her thought he got away with it yeah and I don't know if that's what he was planning when he initially picked her up but like it's definitely what he did yes yeah so Singleton's dead don't have to worry about him anymore I'm just gonna talk a little bit about Mary and her life now. Um, the most recent article I could find about her says that she is 39 and living in Gig Harbor, mm. which hey, it's pretty close to it's us. It's like, yeah, it's like in our backyard. Not mm. in our backyard, but it's like, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump away. Um, she is a mother of two sons at the time that this article was written. They were 16 and 14. She has a parrot, a couple of dogs, hamsters, and a tank of fish. She is an artist and focuses on powerful, upbeat women, and, fa- and she does some family portraits on commission. She's really living her best life and doing so much with so much that was taken from her. Wow, that's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, and I posted some pictures, not posted, we will post some pictures, but there's some of her playing pool, mm-hmm. and she's on some walks with her dogs, and there was a po- picture of her from the trial, I believe, that I posted, where she has just both of her arms up both of her little prosthetic arms up yeah and she just she's so young but she just it's just so amazing that I feel like I would never get out of bed again right she was able to go to trial twice twice and do yeah so much with her life she was able to move on hopefully yeah I'm glad she was able to find and Gig Harbor is such a good place to find peace and like yeah just like live the rest of your life Washington's great. We'll get to it, kind of. We only have lots of different serial killers that have. Hush your face! (laughs) No! That have kind of stopped in our town. Oh, God. Yeah. There's a popular bar in our town that they they would frequent. What? Yeah. It's right down on the water. It's in known of like three of the big ones Ted Bundy Mall, obviously one of them, and the Green River Killer. We yeah. live in Bellingham, Washington, for the record. Not that you should come find us. That's a pretty... Oh, I don't know. 
Let's friends. Let's all be neighbors. Yeah, there's a the bar that they like. It's like known for serial killers would pass through there. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna pretend like I didn't hear. That. <laughs> I'll take you there. Okay. No, <laughs> but that with that being all said, that was the end of the case on Mary Vincent. And yeah, she. It's you know, like I said, not the first case that got me into it, but it has definitely been one to stick with me. Not only because it's proven to me that you shouldn't hitchhike, but because of how amazing this girl was at so resilient so yeah yeah Yeah. so now i am going to be drinking more and mackenzie's gonna tell her story and i will drink and probably be sad now and alex will continue to play with his bionicles yeah and eat candy i'm gonna pause i'm gonna go to the bathroom pause she's going pee pee i'm gonna take another drink of your tomato soup Okay. Maybe I'll try the pickle. I'm gonna eat the pickle. Don't eat my pickle. You can have a bite of it. Oh, I don't like pickles. Why? Oh, I thought I'd like this pickle. What? <laughs> I would be so mad. I like it. Ah! It's not good. Yeah. Okay. After that break, we're ready. Or do you want a little bit more time? I'm okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, I think so. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> it's going like this. She's she's waving her fingers in the air. Sometimes she forgets that we're recording and not videotaping. So. No, it fits. Stop <laughs> trying to cut everything out. Yeah, Work. Really <laughs> It'll just be us talking about what we're drinking. All right. So for mine, um, I'm going to be flipping in between some notebooks. I wrote mine down instead of typing mine out. So if you hear some pages flipping. That is. Kylie's way more efficient than I am. Um, Probably not. And they're so rudely snacking on some very loud things. What? Wow. <laughs> okay, so for mine, I am doing... Wait a minute. Let me be done. Okay. Yeah, I'm done. It's your turn. <laughs> for my um, story that I'll be doing, it's called The Moore's Murders. Um, it is the very first podcast that I'd ever heard um, in this genre. My friend and I, we were working together, and she was like, hey, do you mind if I, you know, put this on and listen to the story? I said, yeah, go for it. It was a three-part series, so I'm going to try and condense it as much as I can with getting the same amount of detail. Or not the same, but like relative amount of detail. Um, And so, let's just, let's get into it. So, the Moore's Murders. Between July 1963 and October of 1965, in and around Manchester, England, Ian Brady and Myra Tinley would go on to kill five children between the ages of 10 and 17. I don't like this. this Rewind! Is, it is going to get pretty graphic um, when I get into the murders. So Rewind. We're cutting Mackenzie's, um, pod, or, uh, Mackenzie's story out of this podcast because I don't like it. <laughs> um, three were found in the Saddleworth Moor, hence the name The Moor's Murders. A moor. A moor. I looked at some pictures, and it's like a big grassy area with like rolling hills. It's like a a field. A field, kind okay. of. Yeah. Okay. I was picturing a harbor for some reason. I was. So I was oh, I'm so sorry. I no, was no, picturing no. like a brick building, so I have no idea. No, 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 no. Knew. Okay. It's big area of land. Where was this? Sorry. Uh, Manchester, England. Oh, mm-hmm. so that's a foreign. We know nothing about have you Manchester. Heard of the world famous Manchester. Shut <laughs> up! You're so irritating. That's my least favorite joke. Continue. 
<laughs> All right, so um, to start out, I'm going to get some background of these killers because I like to know the backgrounds of some people. Um, not that I want anybody to try and relate to them because um, I know that some what some people think that is. I just like to try and get an understanding kind of of like why this human is and who they are. Um, so Ian, he was born in Glasgow, Scotland um, in January of 1938. His mother was unable to care for him, so he was given up to a local family of four. By the time he was 15, he had a history of torturing animals and breaking into homes. By 17, he had threatened an ex with a knife after she was dancing with another boy and appeared before court nine for nine other charges. No, by, placed, the, before the age of, sorry? by the age of 17. He'd been to court nine times for smaller charges, petty theft. Up to be a wonderful citizen. Yeah. Um, he was on probation after this. He bounced around from town to town, job to job, before landing a job at a wholesale chemical distribution center. His coworkers said that he was quiet, punctual, but he had a temper. This is where he would eventually meet Myra. The love of his life? Love of his life. Oh. The woman that he could manipulate to do whatever he wanted. Oh. Basically. No. <laughs> Same. That's what I look for in a, in a date. Yes. In researching the story, there's a lot more on Myra, so it kind of seems more of a story about Myra. But never forget that Myra Ian... Rose? Myra, not Moira. 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 Moira Rose. <laughs> um, Ian was kind of the mastermind behind all of it. Myra just fell along. Did what she was told. Exactly. Okay. Um, so Myra Henley was born July 1942. She had a drunk of a dad who would beat her until she was sent to live with her grandma. An interesting story. When she was eight, she was scratched by a boy on the playground. Her father threatened to leather her if she did not retaliate against this boy. So she found the boy, punched him several times, and her dad praised her for that. So she was praised for hurting others at a very young age. Strong role model. Strong role model. They both kind of didn't have the best... Upbringing, right? right. Okay. Childhood, not great. not good. Um, growing up, despite her father, she lived a fairly normal life. She had some jobs. She was a nice enough girl. Um, one time, she actually had this job, and it kind of tells the type of person she was before she met Ian. Um, she had a job where she lost her paycheck. All the other girls at this job liked her so much that they pooled their money together to give her the amount that her paycheck was worth. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So she was. A nice girl, she was just easily manipulated. Right. Okay. Maybe all her coworkers were also. Maybe. Myra, she was uh, she was often regarded as stunning. She was a bombshell, she was blonde, she was all the boys wanted for the time. At 17, she was actually engaged for a short amount of time. Uh, But she ended up calling it off. Oh, I know, I know, you guys are going to see a picture for the time. Like people say Ted Bundy was hot. I don't think he was hot. Yeah. She. Check it out on an Instagram. <laughs> we'll post the picture. I knew you were going to say something. That's so funny. Because I, I have the same thought. I mean, she's not conventionally pretty to me, but for the time, she was. Um, she was engaged, like I said. She ended up calling it off, though, um, because she just wasn't feeling it with this guy. They only dated for a couple months. So, like I said, for the time. She, at this time, also took up judo, which is kind of interesting, I feel like. That's not very ladylike. Um, 
and she regarded herself as such a lady. One time, she was having trouble getting a partner, and when asked, her partner's previous had For said... judo? Yes. Okay. Um, she was a little bit slow to release her grip, um, so no one really wanted to be her partner. They, she would hurt them. She would hurt them. Even if they said, I'm cool. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They tapped out, and she was like, mm, I think you can take a little bit more. <laughs> they were like, no. So. Watermelon. That's, that's, that's where we are. Red word. Watermelon. Safe word. Yeah. Safe word. Yeah. <laughs> Red word. Stop. <laughs> um, so no one wanted to be your partner. At 18, she landed her job at Millwards. And that's where she met Myra was absolutely head over heels for Ian as soon as she saw him. She would journal about him. She was obsessive. She would buy the books that she saw him reading in the break room so that he would see her reading these books and That's think that they had, like, the same ideas. Creepy. Super creepy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Head over heels for this guy. Like, obsessed. That's like if I went out and just bought a bunch of bionicles mm-hmm. and then, like, just casually showed up at, like, Vital Gym and, like, started playing with the bionicles at Vital just in hopes that, like, Alex would see me. That was 100% so she wasn't wrong. I mean, oh, yeah. when you were when you were in high school, because remember she's eighteen. When you were in high school, if you heard your crush was listening to a certain type of music, would you not? You start listening. Yeah, to you it. listen yeah. to that. Yeah, that's you... how I got into G E C when I was in high school. <laughs> Who liked G E C? Ian. Oh, okay. <laughs> he does not strike me as a G E C type. For the record, Tyler has my boyfriend named Ian. Not, not, yes, yes, not, yes. Not the murderer <laughs> Ian. Different. They kind of had the same. Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> Kylie, Kylie's now dating Alex. That were other co-hosts. <laughs> also not a murderer. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> she would try to get the attention of Ian for a whole year. A oh, whole he year. just wasn't. He was not. He wasn't interested in her. He was like, do his work, go home. He had nothing to do with her. He was like, she's annoying. Whatever. Get out of my face. After a year, That's Ian... also how Alex feels about me. <laughs> After a whole year, he was finally like, fine. I was really into Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Ian finally asked Myra on a date. What he thought, He thought that she, because he kind of knew she wasn't into this stuff from what I had read and researched. Everyone knew she was just doing it to get his attention. So he thought, oh, this is someone that I can manipulate. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And he was like a sociopath, so yeah. know, he picked up on those things. They went on a date. They would become a regular thing. They would go to the movies, then they would have drinks back at her place. He would give her reading material, including accounts of Nazi atrocities. That was one of his favorites. Mm-hmm. He was very into the... Um, like Nazi regime, he believed that the Aryan race was superior. Um, I don't was believe he, he was blonde. I don't believe he she was. She was. She was blonde yes. from the black and white photo that you sent. And okay. so she was kind of a dirty blonde when they started dating. Once she figured out that he liked that, she would then dye her hair bleach blonde, like white, falling out bleach blonde. He's not blonde. No, he's not. Myra started dressing more provocatively. The two would be less social with their co-workers. They were just more into themselves than anyone else. 
they would spend time at the library checking out books on philosophy, but also books on torture. Oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah, good, good variety. Right, right. Just you know, studying up. Philosophy and torture. <laughs> Hell yeah. The two would go on to borrow a van. It was the typical white van. Oh, you know, like singletons. Yeah, yeah, you know, no um, windows in the back. Right, yeah, exactly. A van you exactly. not park next to. <laughs> um, and they would go on to plan robberies. Although those never really panned out, one thing of note is that they were very into photography. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. They would go on to plan bank robberies. <laughs> Although those never really plan, panned out. Like, they would plan them, but they never did anything on them. He just wanted to know that she would go along with the plan if he came up with one. Mm-hmm. That's all he wanted from that situation. That will come back into play later with someone else. Yeah. So he planted these ideas. Would you do this for me? And she said, yeah, absolutely. No, I would not do those things for you. <laughs> um, one thing of note is that they were super into photography. They would take pictures of everything. Um, she eventually had a dog, and they took pictures of him a lot. Um, all kinds of things like that. Oh, my God. They moved in. <laughs> I also want a dog. Dog. Uh, they moved in June of 1963 in with Myra's grandmother. This is when things started to escalate. Myra states that Ian started talking to her about the perfect murder. Mm. So he had this idea that he could get away with it. He was smarter than any cop. He had the perfect plan. He knew exactly what to do. And there was this book. Um, I'll put it in the caption of the Instagram. I can't remember. I should have written it down. But there was this book he was obsessed with, and it also had a perfect murder of a 12-year-old boy. Um, and in the book, the perpetrator got away with it. Just yes. remembered the age of the children. Oh, yes, yes. Speaking of... No! So, they moved in with their grandmother June of 1963. July 12th, 1963 was their first... Oh, really quick, like a month. Yes. Yeah. So... 15-year-old Pauline Reed went to school with Myra's younger sister, okay? So, on this day, they set out. Myra in their borrowed van. Ian was on a motorcycle behind her. Whenever he would see a victim in the vicinity that he thought was, you know, suitable, he would flash his lights at her. The first one they saw was an 8-year-old. But Myra said no. She ended up living down the street from Myra's mom's house, and so that was just a too close of a connection. They ended up on 15-year-old Polly. She was on her way to a dance with Arthur Marino. Myra offered to give her a ride. Never travel alone. <laughs> Myra offered to give her a ride. She then asked if they could stop by the Moors to look for a very expensive glove that Myra lost. So she's needed help. She said, hey, to make a quick stop. I lost this glove. Of course, um, Pauline was like, yeah, sure, I'll help you look for this glove. When Ian arrived, Myra said, oh, he's just my friend. He's just here to help. This is kind of where their stories differ in court. So we're going to go off of the, what police believe to be the most true, um, but nobody really knows because once they got into court, these two turned on each other? Basically. Yeah. They still, they stayed together in most of the stuff, but they didn't really want to stand out alone as the murderer, so they would... Um, he said she did it, mm-hmm. she said he did mm-hmm. it. Yes, so this is what police believe happened. So, Myra went back to the van, 
She said she waited there for Ian's return. After about 30 minutes, he appeared. She asked Ian to take her to the body. Clothes were everywhere. Pauline had been almost decapitated. She was also sexually assaulted. When Myra asked Ian, did you do this? Did you sexually assault her? Ian said, of course I did. Um, She says she wasn't present for the murder. Or, I'm sorry. Ian says that she was not present for the murder, but that she participated in the assault. Yes. Their next would be the 23rd of November. So there was a pretty big gap from July July to to November. November. Mm -hmm. They laid low pretty much in this time, just finding out their next time. This is when they would find 12-year-old John Kilbride. They offered him so a they ride didn't, home. Sorry, they didn't have a specific gender. Right, right. Okay. And they didn't have an age. They did They lean, stayed young. Yes. Dish, but they didn't they didn't only go after females. Right, okay. right. Mm-hmm. Um it's a it's a good mix. Um and Myra liked the idea of a teenager more because she thought that no one would really care if a teenager went missing versus like an eighty year old. Right. Which is not true. Right. But that's what they thought. Or more prone to run away. Right, right. So, um, they found John. They offered him a ride home from the market. That's where he was. They said they would also give him some sherry if they came with him, or if, if he came with them. Twelve-year-old sherry, alcohol. Yep. Uh, but you know, I mean, different time, yeah, different mean, time. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure I started drinking eighth grade. How old are you in eighth grade? Thirteen. 1314? Yeah. yeah. So, he said Ugh. yes. Once he got in the van, they were on their way. They said, well, we actually have to make a detour for the sherry. We can't, we don't have a little. Sorry. Never trust anybody who has to make a detour. Right. Exactly. Uh, they also told him, hey, we lost a glove. Oh. Mm-hmm. They kind of stuck with this. Glove. Mm-hmm. The glove story the whole way. The glove, no love, baby. <laughs> the glove doesn't fit. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, they said, can you help us find it? John, being the sweet, helpful boy that he was, he said, yeah, of course. They say that Ian took John into the moor, and Myra waited in the vehicle. That's also a story that they will stick with for most of the attacks. Is Ian did the killing, Myra came back for the assaults. Yes, and that Myra, she was just kind of there, um, and she just kind of went along with it. Nobody really knows if she participated in it. I don't know if you could see her face, but she, go find her on Instagram. The Instagram. The Instagram. But she kind of looks like she could be, she kind of looks like she's done some shit. Yeah. So. Brady then sexually assaulted John. Um, he stabbed him a couple times, but unable to kill him, he ended up ultimately strangling him to death with a piece of string. Oh. It was either a string or a shoelace. They weren't really sure which oh, one. I didn't know from, oh, stabbing isn't working. It's strangling. Like, I feel like strangling would be way harder. So than much. Stabbing. It's so right? hard to kill someone through strangulation. Yeah. It yeah. takes so long. Not that I know. <laughs> I just so, know. Maybe he liked the power aspect of it. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I've heard a lot of like killers you, like to like you know feel mm, that power. Yeah. yeah. Um, following this, a huge investigation was brought for this little boy. Um, Seven hundred people were questioned. 500 missing persons reports were put up everywhere. Um, Eight days, 2,000 volunteers. They looked everywhere. They never found him. His father was actually um, 
non-shyness. The next one, more that. So sorry. So not important yet. Third, the third was June sixteenth, nineteen sixty-four. So again, a good jump of time. They they spread these out pretty strategically. I think yeah. that that Ian kind of had an idea of what he was doing. He was following the book with the perfect murder. Of course. Yeah. And he was getting away with it. He thought that he would beat the cops. Yeah. Throughout this whole thing. The white man who thinks he's amazing. Yes. So many accounts are like, he thought that he'd beat them. He thought he was so much smarter than they would ever catch him. Yeah. Keith Bennett would be our next victim. How he many? How many? How many victims? Five. Ah! We're on number three. Ah! I just got deja vu. Oh my gosh. What have we done this before? We definitely have not, but. We have no idea what the fuck we're doing. That's so crazy. Okay. I do think it's really cool that this is the first episode of our road trip podcast, and you guys both chose murders that happen when you let somebody else into your car. It's true. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Don't get into someone's car. Stranger danger. Keith Bennett was also 12. He was on his way to his grandma's house. When he passed by Myra on the road, she asked him to help her load some boxes into her car. This was in her car, not her van. Um, so their van, it was just borrowed. She had From a, who? It doesn't say. Oh. Um, so this was her car. And then she offered to drive him home afterwards. Hey, help me put these boxes in. I'll drive you home. He said, yeah, sure. Brady was in the back. They used the glove trick again. We lost our glove. Your boys apparently being very helpful in Manchester, England, would say yes. Again, following suit of the previous victims, assault followed by strangulation while Myra waited in the car. It's a story they're sticking with. So they're sticking with this. I know we just talked for like It's okay. They're sticking with the story that Brady did everything. Right. And Myra was just like the getaway driver. Yep. Okay. Um, Brady would then in court go to say that she was there for sexual assaults. Okay. But he would never say that she was there for the murders. Okay. So he did kind of protect her in that aspect. Um, so I don't know whether I believe her. him. He did love her, I think. It was true love. True love. You guys should do anything for your true love. Between a manipulative murderer. And a manipulative murderer. <laughs> An impressionable woman. You're welcome. <laughs> Words. Keith Bennett, um, the one I just talked about, it was actually really sad. They would accuse his stepdad of killing him. So for years, until they would figure out the truth about what happened, um, the town, people, the press, everyone thought that it was his stepdad. And his stepdad never did anything. Right. I think that he did have an abusive tendency. I think that he wasn't innocent. um, But but he he didn't kill him. Right. Yeah. Myra's sister around this time got married. Congratulations! Yes. The family did not approve of Myra's sister's husband as he had had previous felonies. Um, well, they, felonies. Should, they should meet Ian. They should meet Ian. Yes. I don't he's a real catch. They didn't know about Ian, I'm, I'm assuming, because the things that Myra's sister's husband did was like petty theft, and I think he had held someone at knife point um, for robbery, but I don't think it was anything yeah, super fine. physical. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't like Sir? torture animals. <laughs> Um, so when Ian met the husband, David, um, they hit it off. They had such a bromance. Yeah, of course they did. They did. They're both fucking criminals. They had kindred spirits. Oh, I'm such a good boy. Nasty. 
So what brought me... <laughs> I love it. What I like about this story, not that I like, you know, particularly like any of the stories, but when David comes into the picture and how they eventually get caught, I think is... Because David? I'm not telling David. you that. David! Ooh, David, David and Mara! Oh my god! <laughs> Rose um, Apothecary! But that's what I like about this story is, is how they eventually get caught. Are they on the Nexus now, too? No. Damn. Darn. Um, so, they hit it off. They have a total bromance. They they spend so much time together. Uh, Myra actually gets really jealous of David. And, but in turn, she gets to become closer with her younger sister. She was never close with her before. When talking to David, Ian would talk about society, wealth, and the possibility of robbing a bank. Oh. He wanted to see if David would go along with his story of robbing a bank. If he could get him to do these things. Around the time that Ian, and around this time, um, they became friends with an 11-year-old girl who lived down the street. Stop. From, but this is actually interesting, this part. She oh, never gets hurt. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Nothing else has been interesting. This 11-year-old girl never gets injured. Oh. Never gets harmed. Um, she lives right down the street she from the, the grandma. Chosen one. Yeah, so they they say they never hurt her because they live too close and it would be too much of a connection so they could figure it out. Is this the same 8-year-old who Myra said no to earlier? No. Okay. So this is an 11-year-old. But I didn't know how much time had passed. Oh, sorry. So, um, the eight-year-old lived down the street from Myra's mom. Oh, right. Perfect. Eleven-year-old from the grandma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. Um, they became actually really good friends with her. They would play with the dog together. They would take her on day trips to the moors. That's weird. It was weird. They would hang out the moors all the time with this little girl, and then they would bring her back home safely. No one thought the wiser. Per- personally, personally, personally. I don't think I would just hand my child off to some random stranger. Like, not stranger, neighbor. But um, they had a good connection. Like, they were friends mm-hmm. with the circle. I know it sounds weird, but, like, weird. she was, they weird. were trustworthy to the parents. <laughs> yeah. Or the parents weren't around. It never really says much about the parents. I just know that they had a good relationship. Weird. Weird. Super weird. So, December 26th, 1964. Our last murder was... So they're keeping them like five, six months apart, each of them. The pair went off to a fun fair, is what they call it in Manchester, I guess. Fun fair. This is where they saw 10-year-old Leslie Downing alone. They dropped something purposefully to see if she would come pick it up. Before they went to the fair, Myra took her grandmother to a relative's house and refused to bring her home until the next day. Yes. Leslie Downing went missing. Okay. Okay. Once she helps, once she picked up what they dropped, they asked her to come bring it to the car. Hey, can you help us bring it to the car? Are their arms broken? Can they not bring it to the car? They were. um, They were. (laughs) They were carrying stuff, and they purposely dropped it. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. They then took her to the house. Mm. At this house, she was undressed. No. She was bound and gagged. No. And posed for pictures. No. So, like I said, they were very intimate. No, they weren't. Um, 
Yes, so they did all the stuff with her. They then assaulted her no. and killed her. No. Myra says that she was drawing a bath at the time that Leslie was killed because she wanted to drown her. She thought that that would be a better way to kill her than the usual strangulation and stabbing. Um, but by the time that she came back, Leslie was killed. The next morning, they took her to the morgues to bury her. Then they collected the grandma and brought her. Grandma! So have they been burying all their bodies at the morgue? Just leaving them out at this point? Yes. Okay. At the morgue. Burying. No, no, so they would, for Leslie specifically, they dug a grave, buried her, but then they buried her clothes at her feet. Naked. Yes. I don't like this game. It's the business we're in, babe. Uh, Our fifth and final. That was the final one. I don't want another one. No, thank you. This one is another coffin. Oh, good. The 6th of October. Because of David. Because of David. Aw, damn it, David. The 6th of October, 1965. So it's been almost a whole year since the last one. It's still closer to my sister and her husband. Um, (laughs) David going to work. Um, They one day drove to a railway station. Brady went in to find their victim. He comes out with a 17-year-old, Edward Evans. Ian tells um, Edward that Myra is his sister. Um, he also tells Myra that it's not really um, certain if he tells the cops this or Myra this, but he tells someone that um, Edward agreed to come with Ian for a sexual interaction. Mm. How, old are you? How old is Edward? 17. So, much older than the other ones, but still not an adult. Yeah, still very puberty. Mm-hmm. They went back to their house, shared a bottle of wine. Brady then sent Myra to get her brother-in-law. Myra wasn't thrilled. Um, she didn't really like the idea of bringing someone else into the mix. Um, she thought it was risky, but she did it anyway because Ian asked her to. She would right. do anything Ian asked her to. When they got there, Myra went inside, and she told <laughs> she told Dave to wait for her um, signal. Yeah. She flashed a flashlight. He came to the door. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ian said, are you here for the mini wine bottles? And sent him to the kitchen. Sent Very David weird. to the kitchen? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was just something so Ed would not get assistance. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So then I'm going to read a quote from Dave. Yeah. No. He I says, the quote. I don't want the quote. I waited about a minute or two. Then suddenly I heard a scream. It sounded like a woman. Really high pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room. I saw a young lad. He was laying with his head and shoulders on the couch, and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young man's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head, and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible. Oh, my God. So you just watch Ian, this guy who, I mean, relatively, he had only been talking about bank robberies at this point. Right. Never really talked about a murder or anything. Right. So it was kind of just this out-of-the-blue crazy thing. Right. Right. He knew nothing. like something, ugh. He knew he was criminally, but not death murdering. Yeah. 
not a murderer. Right. Dave watched Ian strangle Evan with an electrical cord after hitting him. With, with a, a hatchet. hatchet in the head? Yes. I mean, I've heard of some people coming out of, like, head, like gunshot head wounds mm-hmm. and, like, things like that. Alive and, like, thriving. Right. So, like, there was a chance. But, like, that's crazy. It's excessive. Excessive. Yeah. yeah. Overkill. During this altercation, Ian actually ended up spraining his ankle. And okay. he needed help. So Dave helped him move the body into the spare room. They wrapped it in plastic and put it in the spare room. So Dave is not freaked out that much, apparently. He says that he was trying not to act freaked out because he was scared of, of Ian. He didn't want right. Ian to lash out yeah. at him. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Dave then... Dave was only down to do a big job. Right. Right. Murder. Right. You know, normal things. Dave left... He agreed to go to his house to get a wagon to then easily move the body to a car and in the morgue. Right, because so he, that, that Ed had been the oldest. Yes. So he had also been like the biggest. Mm-hmm. And okay. Ian sprained an ankle, so he couldn't. Yeah. Right. Okay. Do you think that's why they chose an older boy? Because they knew they would have two grown men. I'm not sure. Like easier to take them out to the car. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah, because up until this point, they had only brought the girl home. Right. Everyone else had been in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Dave left. He was really smart. He's like, hey, I'll be right back. I got some. I gotta go get wagon. I gotta go get some. I'll be back. When Evans got home, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. He could not bear what he'd witnessed, and he told his wife everything. Then threw up a bunch. Yeah. That's what he says. <laughs> Smith then. So, sorry, Dave Smith. Dave went to a call box near his property around 6 in the morning and called the police. Told them everything. The police came and got him, took him to the station. He's still distressed. Twice. Already. Twice, yes. <laughs> the police then... and metaphorically. Figuratively and metaphorically. Those are both Big, fig- Literally and figuratively? Yeah, there you go. Ha! You go. Words. <laughs> <laughs> um, the police hearing the story went to... Ian and Myra's house. The police, it says, went dressed as a milk carrier, so he put a shirt on over his uniform. I think he didn't want to freak them out. But it's three in yes. the morning. No, no, no. So six in the morning. Oh, he called sorry. the police. Went to the station. Okay. I, it's about early morning. Right. Okay. Around the perfect time to have your milk delivered. Yeah. He went up to the door. Um, Myra answered it, and she actually said that Ian wasn't home. She just flat out was like, Ian's not home. Yeah, and then she said, he's the man of the house, I can't let you in. Then Ian piped up from the living room and said, just let him in. So let him in. I'm thinking maybe, because like another thing happens kind of similar to that. So So, the police went in. Um, When they arrived, Ian was actually writing a letter to his employer about his ankle injury, saying that he couldn't come into work that day. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was murdering somebody and I hurt my ankle. Mm-hmm. My dad, yeah. my dad. So even though there wasn't any guns involved, the police needed a reason to be there. So they said they were investigating an act of violence with guns. Hmm. Liars. Liars. But they needed to not cause... <laughs> they did, I think they didn't want Dave to... Right. Yeah. So the two denied anything about any guns, but they did allow them to search the home. The spare room was locked. Myra told them it was just her workspace. But that she would get the key for them. She just had to go find it. But it might take a while. It's with the gloves. 
Yeah. Just keep it That's down. That's something we look for in this field. <laughs> I promise I won't murder you. Ian said, Myra just let them in. Oh. So he... He wanted to be caught. He's just done. He's just done, I think. Maybe, yeah. maybe he thought we could just outsmart them later on. I think he maybe thought he had an explanation, and because he thought he would never get caught. He's so smart. Smarter yeah. than everyone. Yeah. You know, like, he'll, he'll talk his way out. So he's charming. Right? Ian was then arrested on suspicion of murder. Yeah. But not Myra. Myra was not arrested this time. They did find it, yes. He, they went, he's, yeah, he said Myra's let him in. The body was there. She's hiding the body. Like, she's hoping mm-hmm. to hide the body, though. Mm-hmm. So she should have been arrested on something. She should have. But she wasn't. Oh. Hmm. She did, however, demand to also go to the police station. Yeah, she loves that. Yes. Duh. Yes. She grabbed the dog and went there. Oh. Their dog is cute. Did you guys look at pictures of their dog? Did you look at specific pictures of their dog? Or did no, you I, just... looked up, I looked up Ian and Myra photography. So <laughs> dog. I thought you just saw dog. this picture and I was like, how can you tell she's holding a dog in this picture? No, I didn't know. I didn't look at that picture. We'll post it later. Um, so the whole time she's just claiming it was an accident. It was an accident. She was let go with the promise to return the next day. After the next... Why was she let go? She went willingly. Like, she wasn't arrested. I think... The time in England, even though it was the 60s, I think that they knew that women weren't capable. Hmm. Um, and he's the mayor of the house, so he did it, you know, he must right. have. Um, after four days, she was arrested as accessory to murder. Good job, England. Before his arrest, Ian had packed a suitcase full of evidence that he thought would be incriminating. He told Smith about it. Um, Smith didn't know what was in it. He didn't know where it was. Smith did tell the police, David, sorry, David. Yeah. Um, he told the police that Ian kind of had a thing for railways. Like, um, so railroad stations. Like a kink in that? I think, really I think that's just where he likes <laughs> to, like, get his victims. Okay. Um, or that's where he would like to get his victims. I know he did successfully get one in there. Police found it. Inside the suitcase, there were costumes, notes, photos, and negatives. The photos of Downey were found. It's a little girl that they brought back to the house. Move on. Along with photos of her, they did find a 16-minute audio clip of her. Oh. Yeah. Gowney's mother confirmed it was her. She recognized the voice and the screams. Oh. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do that. She had this, and like before they even found her body, she... Listen. I could probably see the pictures, but I don't think I could. Right? I don't think I could listen to the audio. No. Your child in pain. No. Um, the eleven-year-old that they befriended um, down the street. They talked to her. The police did, and she said, "Oh, we go to the moors all the time. I'll show you our favorite spots." The police then found the bodies of Jean Kilbride and Downey. Um, so they would they take this little girl. Home. To the spots where they buried other little kids. Oh my god. Just to hang out. Yeah, that's up. That's yeah. like a typical serial killer thing, though. You go yeah. back to the scene of the crime. Like, the Green River Killer mm-hmm. went back. Mm-hmm. And he likes to show off this stuff, too. I heard recently, like, a lot of serial killers will take trophies like jewelry yes. from the victims and they give it to people in their lives. Mm-hmm. That's, it's weird. That's like and, like, watch them wear it. it. Yeah. Gross. In the suitcase, there were also scenic pictures of the morn. There were pictures of Myra with her dog on the moor. These were then later be proven as burial sites. Um, 
police suspected the pair of other murders and missing teens in the area. They searched for more for more bodies, but they had to call it off because winter was starting to set in. Mm-hmm. About November this time. So, the 14-day trial started April 19th, 1966. Ian and Myra will be in charge with the murders of Evans, so the 17-year-old, Downey, the little girl, and John Kilbride. Because those were the bodies that they had found right. at that point. Um, Dave, actually, at this point, had sold his story to many magazines and newspapers. He was making big. making he's bay. not, like, fully innocent, because that's, like, no. a kind of fucked up thing to do. Yeah. And he uh, was reluctant to tell the court system, like, which newspapers and magazines that he had sold this to, because he didn't want to be in contempt of the law. Um, but they did find that he wasn't in contempt um, when she was just telling the story. Yeah. This pair, these two sick people pleaded not guilty. Not guilty. They not guilty to anything. Even though they found a body in the house, they found the audio, they found the pictures, everything. It wasn't even like on the ground too, or on the Yeah. Yep. Like it wasn't us. They thought they could what? talk their way out of it. Ian thought he was smarter than everyone. Then who killed the boy in their house? It was an accident. For why? It was just an accident. Like accidentally hit him in the head with a hatchet. Yeah. And then wrangled right? him with a shoelace. Happens all the time. Yeah. Damn it! Whoops. Sorry. Ian testified for eight hours. Myra was testified for six. No one was damned for that long. Ian did say he hit Evans with an axe, but that someone else killed him. I hit him with the axe, but someone else killed him. The axe in the head mm-hmm. will kill someone. Mm-hmm. Someone else did that. Someone else did the afterword. Yeah. Myra denied any knowledge that the photos the police had found had been taken um, by any graves. So the scene of pictures that they found. Found graves under where the pictures so, were taken. So, bringing the dog back into it, it's actually kind of a crazy one. So, they wanted to use the dog's age to... In um, the photos? Yes. Okay. To, like kind of line up timelines with when people went missing and, and stuff like that so they could figure out, like, oh, if there really was maybe a body buried there. Because they wanted to dig up the home wall for no reason. They ended up doing, um, they did some procedure on the dog. They put it under general anesthesia. I think they wanted to tell exactly how old the dog was or something. Okay. The dog ended like up, a tree? Maybe. <laughs> I think, maybe. I'm not actually sure. Um, but I think maybe. The dog ended up not making it okay. through general anesthesia. Myra lost her mind. She thought that the police killed her dog on purpose. Um, that it was just she to get back children. Her. Right. And she was just... Not a reason to kill dog, but... She was just in complete anguish, and she was wailing, and she just, she lost her mind. Like, that was her kid. Huh. Yeah, don't kill Funny, right? fucking kid. Funny. Yeah. It was a cute dog, though. It was a cute dog. <laughs> the 16-minute tape recording of Downey was played in open court. Um, both Ian and Myra were audible on the tape. Like, you can hear their voices and it was proven it was Dennis. Myra then said that she basically ignored all of the actions that were happening. She said she was she was downstairs when, when the girl was undressed. Um, she was looking out the window when the pictures were taken. She was looking at it. She didn't see. Um, she was running a bath when she was killed. So she is she never there. there. Yeah, she wasn't there. But she knew what was happening. Right. The girl was in the house being tortured. She knew what was happening. You're still responsible. Yep. You didn't stop it. After just two hours of deliberating, 
That's like so short for time. The jury found Ian guilty of all three counts of murder. They found Myra guilty of the murder of Downey and Evans, but not the other one, not John. Mm -hmm. Um, She was just an accessory to murder in that one. The death penalty was abolished by this time in the area, um, so they were sentenced to... Brady was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. Okay. Myra was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, with seven years extra for harboring Brady, knowing that he had killed... Right. Okay, okay. Myra would, after she was in prison, um, she would go to the Moors twice to help, quote-unquote, help police look... So she's pointing him in the wrong direction. Yes. Yeah, okay. She said, yeah, yeah, I'll come and help you. Um, it was completely blocked off. You see that bird up there? Wow, let's look at the bird for an hour. They completely blocked off the moors for these investigations. Um, There were helicopters flying overhead and stuff. Myra then said that she was, she couldn't, she just couldn't handle it. She couldn't handle the pressure, she couldn't handle the pressure. Um, So she couldn't help them. It was just overwhelming. Did police know how many other victims there were, or were they just kind of looking? So... Myra eventually confessed to all five murders. Oh, five. five. Yes. So they were like, we only thought there was three. Now you say there's five. Right. Okay. Right. Um, when Ian was confronted with this, they said, hey, you know, Myra said you guys did all this. Ian said he would only confess to them if he was allowed to commit murder afterwards. Or, I'm sorry, suicide. Not murder. I'm so sorry. Oh. I'm so sorry. Suicide. He was able to die by suicide. Yes. Okay. And if they would give him the means to do it, officers did not comply. Yeah. So he never confessed, um, but Myra did. And they, uh, I feel like that's pretty damning. Yeah. Um, they would go on to find the other bodies um, using the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, they think the last body was found in 2003. Oh. Yeah. So, like, pretty a long Recent. time after. Yeah. They both died in prison. Good. They had consecutive life sentences. They were never getting out. They were never going to get on parole. Good. Um, it's, uh, sorry, my my story's not as uplifting as yours, the ending. There's no, like, well, powerful women. Yeah, no, my my victims lived. Your victims didn't. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but that's, like, a, I feel like it's a pretty heavy story to... It was a very heavy story to start on. Thank to, you so much. That's the story I started on. That's it's the rude. first, I heard the second part of it. Um, the girl that I listened to, she was amazing. Um, and she is located in the UK, um, Eleanor Neal. So she was on part two of part three, and I had to go back and listen to the first part because I was so into like, it. Into it. Yeah. Like, this is insane. Um, but yeah, that is the, the story of the Moore's murders. Oh, yeah. Uh, we did it. Two stories. <laughs> Our next episode's will not likely be this long. No, maybe. I don't know. Time is weird. But we, can't, we can't commit to any certain amount yeah. of time. Um, hopefully they won't be... I don't know. How long is this going to be? This hour and a half. But We've been we recording for an hour and a half. We have to edit. But at the end of each podcast, we're going to look to our designated driver to see where we are traveling to next. And so let's turn our attentions to Alex and see where we're going. Well, we're starting in Washington because that's where we live. Woo! That's fair. That's yeah, fair. I feel like that's pretty easy. Um, you know, you don't start your road trip somewhere else. You start your road trip at home. Right. You know? 
So, yeah, we'll be starting in Washington. So, our look out for our next podcast episode. It'll be in Washington. Um, I think there will be some pretty good places. We're going to try to not do, like, the big pieces big that cases. everyone knows. Yeah. Um, so, as far as Washington goes, like, we're not going to do Ted Bundy. No. I almost, did the, I almost did the Green River Killer because my mom works out with a guy who she swears is, like, the son of the Green River Killer. I Mom, what? Just, works out oh with a guy but then i was like no i want to do something i've never heard of so but we'll get more into that next week um but i think that's it for this week that's all i have yeah um you can check us out right now we're only on instagram our handle is abc murder pod question mark id correct am i correct i'm gonna get it right now there's some underscores so it's ABC underscore murder underscore pod. Yeah. You can check us out there. And, you know, just... Thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, hopefully we get this more honed in and tuned in and refined. Probably no not. Promises. We're a little chaotic. If you have um, any suggestions or yeah. any cases for our specific states, let us know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we're going to brainstorm a little bit. I know it's just day one, but brainstorm a little bit about happens when we get after we get done with all of the 50 states so where should we go next after that send in recommendations our email is abcmurderpod at gmail.com um and besides that i think we're good we will be uploading our pictures and a little bio of each of us on our instagram so you can kind of get to know us a little bit better put some faces to the names maybe faces to the voices if you can figure out who's who i think the hardest one to figure out would probably be who alex is yeah, my voice just sounds exactly like you guys. <laughs> Very different. Very hard to figure it out. Yeah. Um, Thanks so much. Yeah. Be safe when you travel and always have a travel buddy. And we'll see you next time. Bye. bye. I didn't say bye. You just got to leave them hanging. Bye. <laughs>